Well, this morning, we are starting off a a new series that's going to take us uh, through most of the month of November. We've concluded our Gospel of John series, which has been such an important time together. And I've been sort of calling this new series, for lack of a better name, Why is Bento Church Kind of Weird? Um, I mean that as a little bit of a joke. Maybe it's not all that funny. But uh, what I want it to be is an opportunity to talk over the next few weeks about who we are as a congregation What makes us unique as a congregation? Maybe, uh, as I was reflecting on this series, recognizing that many of the people who are a part of the church, new members included, uh, have not been with us all that long. And so some of you who have been there from the beginning, eight, nine years, you've seen all of the ways God has moved and directed and changed. Uh, But there's some things that have remained the same, that really at the core of who we are as a church. And I wanted to be able to spend some time talking about what is God doing here amongst us and how is he asking us to participate in this unique way? We're going to start today with a simple question. That question is, what is a church? What are we as a church, a congregation? Uh, In the coming weeks, we're going to look at several topics. Uh, What does it mean to be a church today? What is it we do when we come together as a church? How should we think about the relationships amongst one another within the church? What does God have for us to do outside of this church But I did want to make sure I got a note in as we began. Um, Usually my preaching begins with a passage of scripture. (laughs) Almost every week the first line is, open your Bibles too, and we turn to a place where we're picking up from where we left off. That's always been our habit is to work through books of the Bible, verse by verse. Uh, There will definitely be scripture as we move through this series. Even today we're going to be jumping into a passage from Hebrews. But a lot of what we'll be doing over the next few weeks is somewhat different in that I'm going to be sharing from my heart as the pastor of this church you will get uh, throughout a few of my opinions. So if there is an, ever an opportunity for you to disagree with what I'm saying, this is your series. Feel free to disagree with some of this. We're really trying to, together as a people, discern what is it God is asking us to be and do together as a church. And so we will be relying on Scripture. We will be delving into some passages of Scripture. But there's lots of opportunity for us to reflect together on what that then means for us as a people. So the question we start with this week, what is a church? What are we supposed to be? What is it we are when we come together on Sunday mornings like this? I want to focus that question a little bit more. There's often two ways of talking about the church. We did a little bit of this even as we worked through the Gospel of John. There is a sense in which the church is something global, something universal, something that stretches across time. Those first believers in the first century connected as participants of Christ's church, even as we are joining in worship with them all of these years later. And in one sense, you can't fully talk about what the church is without recognizing that we are participating in something far, far bigger than just us sitting here this morning. That's true of all of the churches and all of the places around the world that gather on Sunday mornings like this and true of this history of the church that we find ourselves participants in. In many ways, it is this global church that is the fullest expression of what it is to be a part of Christ's body. We are in on this, a part of this across time and across place. And what we represent as Bent Oak Church is a kind of small microcosm, a little version of of this thing that is happening across time and around the world, the church universal. Um, I tend to think of individual churches in similar ways to this image of we are each parts of the body of Christ. You'll think of Paul's writing that each of us brings something to this body of Christ. Uh, One may be a tongue, one may be the eye, one may be a hand. 
In similar ways, each of these churches are bits and pieces that build up the body of Christ. And in so being, each of these churches are often expressed in slightly unique or individual ways. We exist in a particular place with particular needs and particular people. In the same way, churches on the other side of the world exist in their own particular place and particular needs. And each of these churches take on types of personalities or giftings or contributions that we make to the church as a whole. When John wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, he recognized that each of those churches faced unique challenges, unique benefits, compliments that he gives to them, but also individual warnings. And so too it is with all churches, that every church has a certain disposition, a certain personality, and along with it, unique challenges and unique compliments that might be offered to that church. When it comes to talking about these individual churches, what we are this morning, the word that is most often used throughout the Bible is the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia is the word that is used to describe a church. And that's not necessarily just a religious word. The word ecclesia simply means gathering. It was a secular word that could have been used to describe anywhere that a group of people gathered together. Or it could be used as a verb when we're gathered together or gathering together, ecclesia. So this is the word that the New Testament authors decided when they wanted to articulate what are these things, these groups of Christ followers meeting together, They picked up this not necessarily religious word, but this descriptive word, that those churches are ecclesia. They are gatherings of people. I like to use the word often congregation, which is kind of an old word today. You don't hear as often, but it works in the same way. A congregation is a thing, but also a verb when we congregate together, something that we do. We join together. We gather together. A church. Ecclesia is a word like that. The emphasis, the reason that they picked this word to describe what churches were from the beginning was their acknowledgement that its most fundamental, basic level, a church is a group of people who gather. Gathering is the emphasis of the word they chose. One New Testament Greek dictionary describes the word this way. In every New Testament usage, while ecclesia can mean more than a gathering, It never means something unrelated to gathering together. At its most basic and elemental level, the definition of a church is to gather. Churches gather together. Now, the challenge, of course, anytime we start asking first century church, 21st century church, the question is always how much of what they were doing in the first century is cultural And how much of it is prescriptive, is supposed to be something that stretches across culture and across time and into the future. Um, I can point out that in the first century, they did not have Zoom available as an option for church gatherings. There were no live streamed services from the church in Rome that you could watch from Corinth if you liked. They didn't have podcasts for delivering sermons or they didn't have worship albums that you could download and put on a phone. Even more, the first century believers probably had no concept of cathedrals or church buildings or denominations or parachurch organizations or Christian TV and Christian radio. So the big question is, this idea of gathering as a people, how much of that that they did in the first century impacts the way what we think of as a church now in our day? And here's where we get into a bit of the opinion part of the sermon. 
As you know, this last season has been one in which so many churches, are included, were forced to meet online. Um, really, we weren't meeting online. We were creating a video and emailing it to you for you to watch at home. It didn't feel like much of a meeting, particularly as I sat at my kitchen table and recorded those sermons and then coldly sent an email off and hoped somebody watched them at some point. There's been a lot of churches who have seen this as an opportunity to grow online, online ministries and online services, and to rethink the way that we do church together and what it means for a church to exist. I'm sure many of you have heard of this. We now have online churches and online church gatherings. And many will argue that things like Zoom or online services is a gathering of believers, Perhaps they're right. Perhaps there is an opportunity and perhaps God is doing things where people can gather who couldn't or through online give more people access to those gatherings. But one of the things I'm increasingly worried about is that the least important part of what a church does is becoming that simple definition of gathering. These days, churches have programs and ministries. They have online content and YouTube channels and podcasts. They produce worship albums and their pastors write books. They have online services that can be watched anytime, from anywhere, on demand when it fits into your schedule. And for that matter, you can now attend a church that meets across the country from you that you've never stepped foot in nor know anyone there, but it can be your church because of the online offering. And perhaps this really is the future. Um, There is a chance that I'm just an old stick in the mud and I'm missing the trajectory of what God is doing in the church. But my concern is that the thing that is becoming least important, least essential for what a church is, is that simple definition of the word those New Testament authors picked, gathering. That at its most basic level, what a church does before anything else, the name itself, is gather. I feel like the actual gathering of believers together is so fundamental that for me, I'm not sure I could fully personally call it a church without the reality of that gathering. To be honest, even those weeks that we took off in which we were forced to watch a sermon video, for me became the proof of how important it is. That little window into what it looked like not to be together, somehow a realization for me in a new way that that really is so much the critical and all-important thing. We gather. Um, There's a passage in Hebrews I want to look at. I'm going to read just a small section of it. You're welcome to turn there if you want or just listen. It's from Hebrews chapter 10. I'll be reading in verse 19. But the words in Hebrews chapter 10 are familiar to many of us. But I want to set them in their broader context and point out a couple of the things. Though I'm also keenly aware that this will quickly sound like a sermon to people who attended church about how important it is to attend church. Bear with me. I promise we'll do something bigger than just that. But the author of Hebrews specifically writes about the importance of this gathering and the risk that that gathering together is something that quite naturally can become neglected. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So in other words, it opens 
Because of the access we now have to God through Jesus Christ, let us take advantage of it. Don't neglect the fact that you now have a way to God through Jesus. But then in verse 24, you get the big and connected to that. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. For the author of Hebrews, there are two things that are integrated together in this passage. We have an opportunity to know God. Through Jesus Christ, it's been made available to us. And we should be careful not to neglect that opportunity that we have through Christ's sacrifice. And immediately tacked to that, you are welcomed into this community to gather together in that pursuit. And equally, you should not neglect the gathering together. Apparently, one of the things you could say is all the way back in the first century, there were already some who were beginning to neglect the importance of gathering together. They were neglecting it enough that the author of Hebrews could call it the habit of some to neglect the meeting together, that it had become habitual, a kind of habit that some in the church had slipped into, neglecting the value of what it was for the church to be gathered. One commentator for Hebrews puts it this way, The point here in Hebrews is not leaving the community that you've dropped out of the church, but failing to attend its gatherings, which are so necessary in view of the approaching day. The specific reason for the warning is not given. Believers might have been taking part in other gatherings in the city or failing to attend due to pride, fear of persecution, or just diminishing zeal. They just may have lost interest in the value of gathering together and slipped into the habit of neglecting it. It's easy to think that this conversation is just maybe what you would expect from a pastor, a kind of guilt-filled obligation. (laughs) You better show up to church. You better keep coming to church. After all, you imagine that's kind of what my job is to tell you, right? Like the dental hygienist reminds you every time you're not flossing well enough, or the guy who changes your oil tries to push that new air filter on you. It's just part of the process. Show up to church and somebody's going to talk to you about your attendance. But there's something bigger going on in what the author to Hebrews is saying than just, we want you in church. Perhaps we have not been honest enough with ourselves or with God about this human tendency that something about our broken, sinful nature causes our hearts to gradually disconnect from this obligation, to neglect the value of what it is together together. That part of being human is to find ourselves zealous and then slowly and gradually see that zeal diminish until we begin to neglect what was at one time so valuable. People all the way back to the first century found themselves doing it. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised that people today would find themselves, the same broken humanity, doing the same thing. Isn't it remarkable that even they... Probably when the author is writing Hebrews, just a generation or so removed from the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, even they started skipping, started falling away, stopped finding it hard to get themselves there. It became their natural habit to neglect the gathering together. So I want to point out a few things about why this gathering is so important as a basic fundamental definition of church. 
and why it is far, far more than just a guilt trip about attendance, which, by the way, I should point out, um, in the nine years or so we've been meeting together, I don't think I've counted the number of people in the room one time. So we don't take attendance. I don't know if you've noticed this. There's nobody counting in the back. I don't pass an attendance book around. So I hope you hear me when I say my goal in this sermon is really not to just bolster numbers next week when people feel guilty that I preached on attendance and they weren't here, which won't be you because you're all here. Really, my goal is there's something here by the author of Hebrews' emphasis that matters possibly more than we've recognized. So the first thing is this. Perhaps we need this gathering together exactly because we so easily think that we don't need it. Perhaps the moment we think that we have something better to do or more important to do or more pressing to do is proof of how much we do need it. Faith is an increasingly personal thing in the world that we live in, and it's starting to reflect itself in the way people think about what a church is and the way they participate in it. Gallup released some new research just this year, 2021, And they found in it that Americans' membership in houses of worship has continued to decline, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trending. In 2020, 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque. That's down from 50% in 2018 and down from 70% in 1999. For the first time, less than half of Americans say they belong to This isn't a tin, but would identify as belonging to some place of worship. Another recent study found that in actual numbers, 36% fewer Americans attend church weekly in 2020 than in 1993. That the person who described themselves as attending weekly a religious service is now down to the low 20%. I don't think that's a big shock for most of us. Something is changing. I hear it from all of the pastors I know, and I'm sure you sense it and pick up on it from coworkers and friends and family members. People are going to church less. Weekly attendance is down. We've seen it ourselves, but it's happening just about everywhere. Like many of you, I grew up in a Christian home and a church, and we went to church three times a week. I imagine, Brad, when you were pastoring, you preached three times a week. It was just part of the rhythms of life and what a church did. And to be fully honest and transparent, I have a hard time imagining how that fits into the way that we live and do life now in 2021. It seems almost impossible to make that work. I don't know if you saw this last week, but Facebook rolled out a new name and with it a uh, presentation about things to come in the future. They're calling it the metaverse. And they rolled out how soon we will have virtual reality that will allow us to attend work, attend shows and concerts and every other kind of gathering from our own couch, our own chair, with a headset we put on our head, that a big majority of life will be able to be lived in the virtual reality. And they're not pitching it as some distant idea, but the plan over the next few years that they will be rolling out. Maybe this seems a little bit obvious, but as less people are going to church, now some 20%, there will be more other things going on on Sunday mornings. I don't know if you've noticed this as well, or Wednesday nights or Sunday nights. The trajectory of our culture seems pretty clear. We are in the minority who get up on a Sunday morning, drive to a place like this, and gather. And as that becomes more and more the minority thing to do, there will be other majority things going on that will be sacrificed to continue being a part of this. It will become stranger to be a person who does this every week, gathering together. 
the goal of this sermon is not to create a kind of church in which no one ever misses. You will, I will. That's really not the point. The big point is, if we were really honest with ourselves, really honest with God, it is easy for us to fall out of the habit, to create a habit of neglecting how important it is when we gather together. And even if we show up every week, we can still find ourselves slipping into the idea that this doesn't matter all that much, that this is somehow a small, insignificant, little thing compared to everything else going on in the world. It will take, in the years to come, an equal kind of honesty and determination. In many ways, it will take a real countercultural commitment in this world to make this kind of gathering together a priority in your life, and something that isn't neglected, but committed to. Perhaps it's as we begin to think this thing matters less that it really does matter most, and we should recognize it. But it's not quite enough to talk about this as just showing up. (laughs) That if you just walk in the doors, you're somehow no longer neglecting being here. We have to come to this place when we do gather together with little more expectation than what God might be doing and the value, even when we don't know what it is, of simply being together. Perhaps the reason less people are attending church today than used to is they just don't see the benefit of it. So much of the way we think about life and the options available to us are no longer obligation, but now, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? Does it fit into my schedule? Am I interested in what is happening there? Do I get enough bang for my buck to invest my time, that all-important commodity? And many churches are desperate to try to figure out ways to attract more people back. We all see the numbers attendance, membership declining? How is it a church pushes back against that trend? I hear pastors talk all the time about how they're trying to create new experiences that people won't want to miss out on, that we need to create services and offerings of programs that make people feel like they have to be there or else they've missed out. But if church becomes the best thing going on, and I attend because I don't want to miss out on what might happen, You have to ask yourself what it is you're going for. If you're going so that you won't miss out, so you can be a part of the thing because something important or beneficial or life-changing might happen there, that's not altogether wrong, but there's a chance that what's drawing you to church is no longer the gathering together, but the personal benefit, the expectations I have for what will come from it. If you come to Bento Church because you want to hear me preach every week, you're missing really what it is to come to church. If you come to Bento every week for the amazing stage design and light show, okay, that's probably not a reality for this congregation. But even in a small church like this, you can come for reasons, things I need, things I want. And there is a degree to which that is okay. But if it is the only thing that brings you here, there will come days where there are other things you want more. Things where sleeping in or hitting the lake or going on a drive or lunch with friends just seems a little more valuable to you in that moment and easy to justify. And slowly what begins to happen is the neglecting, a habit of neglecting the value of gathering together. Part of the importance of gathering is doing it even when you aren't getting something out of it. You notice that's what makes it a habit, and what equally the author of Hebrews says makes it a habit of neglecting. 
That's why we think of church as a commitment we make, a commitment to gathering, a commitment to belonging and membership, not a product. We don't come to purchase a church service. We don't come to take a church service, to watch a church service. We come to participate, to gather. In June of 2013, uh, we were still meeting in Roger and Carissa's basement. That seems like a long time ago, eight years ago. We were meeting together and just beginning to talk about what it would look like to formalize this from a few people gathering on Sunday evenings for a talk or a Bible study into what we would call a church, what that transition would look like. And at the time, one of the things I did was write a letter to the congregation explaining why we were making that decision, what it meant for us to say we're now not just a Bible study, but a church. Eight years ago, one of the lines I used in that letter, 2013, was the greatest danger we face is not budget or building or organization. It is hearing the word church and rushing past what God is doing to have what we would have him do instead. I think that's a danger we continue to face, that we're always on the edge of facing. That when we say the word church or Sunday morning worship, What we fill into it is our own expectations, what a church should have and what a church should be and how a church should work and what I would like or how it's working for me. There's nothing wrong with having ideas or input or suggestions, but at its base level, it becomes dangerous for us to think that this church primarily exists for us to have input and create and craft the thing that we would like it to be. Instead, we come to this place, gathering together, Asking each other the question, what is it God is trying to do? What is it God would like to say? What is it God is putting before us to be and to do? The simple act of gathering is the best test that I know, the best lesson of discipleship I know. Showing up, gathering together, doing our best to set aside expectations and commit to something that God might or maybe this week might not do, In our midst, few things will test what it is to be a disciple, will teach you what it is to be a disciple, like that simple discipline. It's why I've often said to you before that I think one of the first and most important spiritual disciplines, I think you should fast, I think you should pray, I think you should practice solitude and sacrifice, but one of the best spiritual disciplines I know is showing up. Just show up. Set aside expectations, commit yourself to the gathering, and sense when you're here what it is God is asking of you and us together. That sounds so simple as to be kind of corny, just show up. But I think it is in so many ways the real test of what it is to be a part of a church today. That test requires a third thing. First, perhaps we come together just when we think we don't need it is the most important time because we do. The second thing, we come together not with our own expectations, but with a question open about what God is doing. And third, we do it with patience. I don't think this commitment of gathering together is something you prove on a single Sunday morning. I don't think you can prove it in 52 Sunday mornings. I'm not even sure if you could do it over just a few years. I think the real value of what it is to show up and gather together happens across a lifetime. It takes a long time to get a sense of what it is and why it is valuable to simply be together. 
so much of the value of gathering together has to express itself across years of time. One of the things after pastoring this church for almost a decade that I feel as strong as anything else, I think Ashley would agree with it, is of all the things that I've gotten wrong and right in life so far, I think one of the best and most right things we've done is commit ourselves and our family to this church, to just show up, not knowing where it'll go or what it'll mean or what it will require of us. But I feel so strongly that so much of who I am and who we are as a family hasn't just been some special word or insight you shared or some lesson I learned from a passage of scripture, although those things are true. So much of who we are has been shaped simply by gathering together. It may be hard to walk away from an individual Sunday and say, oh, that was the benefit of gathering. But when I look back on a decade of it, it seems like one of the most profound things in my life, the value of gathering Again, that's an easy thing to say as a pastor. Sure, it's your job to show up every Sunday and preach a sermon, but that's not really how I mean it. I mean it that this church cared for me and showed me unbelievable graciousness and kindness when I was sick and some Sundays stumbled over words that didn't make sense in sermons. I've seen how you've loved my kids. I've watched as you visited Ashley and brought DVDs and food for eight weeks while she was on bed rest with Charlotte. I've watched how you've encouraged us over months like this, but also random Sundays throughout the year. You can't get any of that from a single Sunday of showing up, perhaps not even from a few weeks or months. It takes years and time, and there are seasons when it's your moment to receive, and many more seasons where it's your obligation to be the one to give. But by doing so, when the time of your receiving comes, it will be there. I thought one of the things we needed to address early in talking about what it is to be a church is this name. I realized Bent Oak Church may have been a poor choice when it came to naming. I, one time, somebody asked where I pastored, and I said Bent Oak Church, and they said, Bento, like Bento Box? And I said, no, not at all like that. What can I say? The domain name was available, so we picked it. When we named the church early on when we were launching, I wrote, again, a letter trying to articulate and explain why we went with this particular name. Many of you have probably read it. It's in the vision section of our church website. But even for me this week, reading it again, it was a reminder of this point, the value of gathering together patiently over time. So I thought I might take a moment to read it to you. It's not particularly long. But I wrote this to you almost a decade ago. Behind my parents' home is Bull Creek. The stream runs through the middle of the Mark Twain National Forest, slow and shallow but crystal clear. There is one particular spot that has always caught my imagination. It's a small stone ledge shaped by lo- shaded by large oak trees just above the creek's bank. It isn't much, just a dirt clearing and a path down to the water, but in the center is a landmark, an old bent oak tree. The other trees climb straight up, the way of least resistance to the sun at the top of the canopy, but this oak takes a unique path. A few feet above the ground, the trunk bends sharply, almost back parallel to the ground, and then slowly begins its climb upward again. As strange as it looks, few people probably notice it. But it has a story, one only a few locals still know. They call them Native American trail trees, and there is more than just this one. In fact, the Ozarks are full of them. They are a reminder that others walked these woods long before I wandered into them. 
Like the stream flowing past this tree, time has carried away almost any evidence of their existence, but they were here, at this particular place, at work on this particular tree. While still a young sapling, the tree would have been bent and tied to the ground with leather straps, and as it grew, its shape was slowly transformed. Years later, it would become an easily recognized reference point for those who knew what to look for. Placed beside Native American trails, the bent trees pointed travelers to important landmarks like water and shelter. It would take decades for a freshly tied-down tree to grow into one of these mighty oak markers— serving generations of natives who used them to shape and guide their paths. They marked the trail, but they also were a way of life. They represent a story larger than any single pair of hands which crafted them. They are a common act of kindness, a gift pointing complete strangers and future travelers to water and safety. But why? There's no tip jar to compensate their creator, not even the guarantee of a thank you or a handshake at the end of the trail. Yet still, they were built. They were built by those who belonged to something greater than their own interest. They were built for more than reward. They are the markings of a people, a commitment to a community and a place. It is exactly what I want my faith in this church to be, a people embracing this particular ground, home in these woods, serving and sacrificing for those we may never receive from or be thanked by. A path to life, a path to Christ, a bent oak. Let's be clear, it isn't instant gratification. It's not a flashy neon sign, a crowded interstate full of billboards clamoring for the attention of the next passing van of religious sightseers. It is a faith of decades, a faith of gradual, unhurried growth. Challenged yet strengthened by the seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall, ring by ring taking shape, more deeply committing to the small piece of rocky soil beneath us and finding in that soil purpose and identity, a calling, never imposing, never demanding, always pointing. I really do believe that that's what God has asked us to be as a congregation, Not to neglect the gathering together, but over time and patiently by that gathering, growing and creating something that lasts, that matters, that points to life. If you think back to that passage from Hebrews where we started, you've seen the importance that he had for not neglecting this gathering. But the author of Hebrews also urges us not to neglect the relationship we have with God through Christ. It is these two things that fit together. We learn to entrust ourselves into the hand of God by the sacrifice Christ has made. And so too, we learn to entrust ourselves into this church by the gathering together of believers. Both of those acts are small and usually unnoticed by the people around you. Not very many of your friends will see or recognize the decision to trust your life to Christ. And so too, many may not find a whole lot of value in this act of showing up to a little congregation on Sunday mornings. But according to the author of Hebrews, few things matter more than that simple act of entrusting. Let me close with this. We'll go to worship um, 
you're going to get a few Bonhoeffer quotes along the way because we're talking about church and his book Life Together has probably impacted the way I think about church more than anything else. It's not that long if you wanted to read it for another day. He writes this about Christian community and the way in which it relates to that commitment to entrust yourself to Christ. He writes, Christian community is like the Christian's sanctification, the way that you grow in Christ. It is a gift of God which we cannot claim. Only God knows the real state of our fellowship, of our sanctification. What may appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as it pleases God. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and purpose of all of our fellowship is in Christ Jesus alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. It's what we do as a church. Lots of other things we'll talk about. Worship and study scripture and take communion and welcome members and baptize new believers. There are difficult decisions of discipline and joyful moments of celebration, the birth of new children, the marriage of members. But at its most fundamental level, we entrust our lives to Christ and we trust him to do something in our midst when we gather together. If you want a basic definition of what a church is, ecclesia, the gathered group of believers, the intentional practice of gathering together, the habit, no longer neglecting it, but valuing the simple act of gathering, is the best definition at its most basic level of what a church does. We gather. And in that, there is something profoundly countercultural, something profoundly unique and different and faith-filled in this world, when fewer and fewer people recognize it as important. We get up, we put our clothes on, we eat a breakfast, we come together, we worship, we pray, we encourage one another, we give our lives to Christ, and we give our lives to this gathering together of his people. A church gathers. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are deeply grateful for the opportunity we have to do that. That we are here this morning, gathered together as your people. That you, by your grace and by your spirit, have created this church, this place where we commit ourselves and show up. God, we pray that you would give us patience, that you would give us endurance, that you would give us a tenacity to keep on believing this matters even when our own faith falters, that we would not neglect the value of gathering together, but we would quietly and humbly submit ourselves to this. That, God, we would trust our lives to you, to your grace and mercy, And that we would trust ourselves, our families, and our own lives into this place, into this gathering together. We pray that as we do, God, there would be Sundays in which your spirit would move and we would see clearly by faith all that you are doing here. The way in which you use these churches, these gatherings to shape us, to spur us on to deeper love and faith and greater works that we would see the way in which you're using this group of people to grow us and disciple us and make us more like you. 
But God, even when days come and times come, seasons come, where we find ourselves discouraged or tired or neglecting, that God, we would come alongside one another, walking with one another, supporting one another, calling one another back to this simple act of gathering. And God, we pray that as you look upon this church, you would see that fundamental thing, us gathering together as an expression of worship, as an expression of our faith and our belief that you meet us here, that where two or three are gathered together, you are in our midst. So we do it this morning humbly, without grand expectations, without demands, without complaint. We gather together and we worship you together. So we pray that this act of worship this morning us here participating together would be a reflection of that simple faith we have and what you have asked us to do, to be a part of your body, to be committed to the gathering of the saints, and to receive you and what you're doing here in our midst. It's in your name we pray.